Hello, and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone, and with me, as always, is my co-host Rob Laborges. Hello, everybody. Today is episode two of our series, Get Me Another, Conan the Barbarian. Last week, we discussed John Milius' landmark film, which brought the character created by Robert E. Howard in 1932 to the big screen. We also talked about another 80s fantasy film, The Sword and the Sorcerer, which actually came out a few weeks before Conan's wide release. This week, we'll be exploring two more sword and sorcery pictures. The first, following a moderately successful theatrical run, became a staple of 80s and 90s cable television. This is The Beastmaster. It was foretold by witches. It was conceived through sorcery. And it was to be destroyed by all that is evil. But the courage of one mortal saved it. And so, into an age of darkness, in a time of mysticism, sacrifice, and plunder, there came the only light, the Beastmaster. Born with the strength of a black tiger, the courage of an eagle, the power that made him more than any hero. More than any lover. He was lord and master over all beasts. He was the beast master. Behold the wonder. The horror. The fantasy. The challenge of the one warrior they call the Beastmaster. Mark Singer is Dar. Tanya Roberts is Carrie. Rip Torn is Mayak. John Amos is Seth. Together they take us on a fascinating journey back into unexplored times. Conquer your fears. Face the unknown. Discover the incredible link between man, animal, and all that is phantasmagorical. In the world of dungeons, dragons, and Dar, the Beastmaster, the epic adventure of a new kind of hero. Directed by Don Coscarelli and written by Coscarelli and producer Paul Pepperman, The Beastmaster is loosely based on a 1959 novel by Andre Norton. The novel is significantly different from the film it inspired. In in fact, the novel took place in a post-apocalyptic setting and featured a Native American protagonist named Hostine Storm. Uh, Co-writer and producer Paul Pepperman said, There is no adaptation of the book. We liked the title, we liked the hero and his animals, and that's it. Uh, Don Coscarelli, of course, had previously directed 1979's Phantasm, 
uh, and would later go on to direct the cult classic Bubba Hotep. And, and Rob, there are times in The Beastmaster where his sensibilities as a horror director really shine through. Absolutely. Uh, his love of putting atmosphere into the air and getting that smoky feel um, to the the robes that I swear to God are probably leftover costumes from Phantasm, <laughs> from those little guys. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, 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 I'll tell you one thing that this movie has, and I, I, I like this movie a lot, but one of its, it, it, it has got style and, and Coscarelli really brings that, uh, I think in, 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 in spades. Like it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. The thing that I, uh, also like about Coscarelli and his movies is that, is that they are fun movies. Yes. And so this is where, and I guess this came out the same year, right? As yeah, uh, it ended up coming out a couple months after Conan the Barbarian, like uh, in August of that year. So this one, uh, I had talked about Conan the Barbarian being a very bleak worldview. Still, it's not a slog of a movie by any means, but it's it's very very dark. I think in in that way, this movie not one whit. No, despite having like some dark, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this feels much more, uh, there are parts of this movie that feel, uh, and frankly of our next one, where I get much more of like a late 70s rainbow connection vibe as far as how the natural world is and people living inside of it. Um, I, you know, I half expect Kermit to like float down uh, the, the stream or something. Well, that would be amazing. Um, that would be the crossover of all time. It's actually, Coscarelli described the film as a Japanese samurai film meets a Disney animal movie, which is actually a great description for the Beastmaster. That is 100% accurate. There were times with him and the way he talks with his animals that I got Disney princess vibes with talking <laughs> with your magical <laughs> animal friend. So I I fully endorse Coscarelli's view. The idea for the Beastmaster, clearly it, it predates the film adaptation of Conan, but it was rumors of John Milius directing a Conan film that actually allowed the financiers to raise money. Uh, it was so it, in a sense that it, like some of the remember we, when we did our Get Me Another Batman series, there were a number mm-hmm. of films that were in development. And then once Batman came out, it sort of, you know, the, the floodgates opened for these other, uh, you know, pulp or comic adaptations that were were sort of in the mix for a while, but hadn't gotten traction. Um, the film stars Mark Singer as Dar, the Beastmaster, who would go on to start in one of the greatest television miniseries of all time, <laughs> V. Uh, it also stars Tanya Roberts, who is one of the later Charlie's Angels, uh, as well as uh, starring opposite Roger Moore in the 1985 James Bond film, A View to a Kill. Uh, it has the legendary Rip Torn, wearing what appears to be Nicole Kidman's fake nose from The Hours, uh, and prolific character actor and New Jersey native, John Amos. Uh, a couple of casting things, real quick, is Coscarelli originally wanted a young Demi Moore to play the role of Kiri, oh. but the producers nixed her, and he, he wanted to have Klaus Kinski as Mayax, but they couldn't afford him. Oh, wow. That would have been something, uh, to say the least. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I want to mention that the production company credited at the beginning of this movie is the Leisure Investment Company. There's actually a, that's the, the first title card. And it sounds like it should be selling phony timeshares in Florida. Yeah. Or perhaps just be a straight up mob front. One of the two. <laughs> it's either a scam or a front. Uh... The Beastmaster opens in the kingdom of a rook. And Mayax, the cruel high priest of R, learns from a trio of witches that Zed's, the King Zed's unborn son, will one day destroy him. He's confronted by the king and banished, although not before ordering two of his followers to kill themselves on the spot. Uh, and first of all, the fanatical power immediately reminded me of Thulsa Doom and the scene from Conan where, you know, he, he orders the girl down. And second, this organization... They have these like chains that allow themselves to hang themselves on the spot. And I'm just going to say to any yeah. listeners out there, don't join any group that insists you wear one of these. It is They do not have your interests at heart. It's kind of like the old-fashioned version of the cyanide tooth for spies. Yes. Uh, the cyanide capsule tooth. And it is, um, again, uh, use, utilized where he orders those guys with the wave of his hand. He doesn't yeah. even actually order with, with words. I, I want to mention, apparently, according to Coscarelli, the fake nose that Rip Torn wears in this movie uh, was, was Rip Torn's idea. Rip Torn wanted to play the role as if he were a turkey vulture. Okay. You know what? When Rip Torn says he wants to play the role like a turkey vulture, that's what he is going to do. Um, we need to talk first. I think the first thing we need to talk about is Mayax's three witches. Because he's got these three witches that um, there's, it's it's a thing. Um, because well, they have pretty significant role, and they're in short, they have the bodies of Sports Illustrated swimsuit models, but the faces of the Stygian witches from Clash of the Titans, and it is highly unsettling. Yes, even more unsettling is the fact that the uh, the face prosthetics. It really looks like molded clay, and there's not much uh, there's not much movement with the faces, but somehow uh, it just makes it even more odd and creepy because they they have them doing often dance like motions and movements with their yeah. body, especially around the cauldron and when they're doing things, uh, and then to have almost this unmoving clay face of terror. Uh, that could be, you know, from a Vincent Price movie, frankly. This could yeah, be like yeah, Oblong Box, Dr. Fibes territory. Totally. House of Wax. Yeah, yeah. One of the witches, by the way, is Janet Jones, which if you grew up in the 80s, she, uh, uh, an actress features in uh, American Anthem, which is one of the best Olympic movies ever. Uh, and, of course, Police Academy 5. Um, she's also Mrs. Rain Gretzky. Uh, there's some interesting that some of the, the, the people behind this movie, uh, the music uh, was composed by Lee Holdridge. And I'll tell you that main Beastmaster theme, first of all, it's great. Second of all, oh, it yes. really reminds me of Stu Phillips' score from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and also the cinematographer on this movie is was John Alcott. Who was one of? He was a, worked with the legendary Stanley Kubrick. He he worked on two thousand one Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, for which he won an Oscar, and The Shining. He also shot a film we covered in our previous series, Get Me Another Halloween, Terror Train, and and the movie looks great. Uh, apparently, early in the pro shoot, the producers were considering firing Coscarelli because they didn't believe he could direct action, which is ridiculous. Uh, but Alcott told them that if they fired him, he would quit too, and they backed off. Yeah, and it's funny. Uh, 
you bring up the action sequences, and we'll get into specific ones as we go, but for me, it's twofold. I think it's very much of its time where it Definitely. feels like the film version of like A-Team action sequences, uh, the A-Team TV show, but done, Definitely. done better and they're, you know, they're t- being able to take more time. And by the way, I mean this as a total compliment. I was obsessed with the A-Team. There's nothing wrong Absolutely. with it. Because the thing about it is that they are kind of like rollicking good time action sequences. Is, is kind of yes. the feel that I'm talking about. You're not marveling at, oh, they had the best stunts or the best, you know, the most money for their setups or whatever, and they're not doing uh, tons of explosions because Beastmaster. But uh, holy smokes, are those scenes and sequences absolutely fun? Uh, that said, there are more explosions in Beastmaster than you would think there yes. would be. Yes, yes, there are. Uh, Mayax decides to get his revenge on the king by sending one of his witches to the to the king's bedroom to kill the queen and to steal the unborn baby. Now, in the first sign that Zed is possibly not a great king is the fact that this witch can get into his bedroom with a cow. She brings a cow <laughs> with her, which is her method of stealing the baby. Uh, she 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 transfers, magically transfers the unborn child into the cow. Um, and I have two thoughts on this. Sure. One, we're not 10 minutes into this movie and I've seen more distended stomachs than I generally care to. And two, how did he get a cow in there? Like, how, how did the cow get? I mean, I would think that would it'd be one thing to sneak into the king's bedroom. and But, uh, hey, to sneak into the king's bedroom with a cow, that's really something. Well, I chalk it up to magic. Uh, there's yeah, probably, a, uh, clearly. The, you know, just uh, an invisibility spell, but they got to show us. The, the, the wizard did it. What I would love to focus on is when that when the baby goes into the cow, we see it. And I don't know what prosthetic job they did for this because it looks great. And also yeah, it does. It is super super disgusting and uh off putting. Yes, it is unsettling. unsettling and upsetting and it looks completely like it it, it if it wasn't unsettling, if it wasn't so well done, it wouldn't be unsettling. We'll talk about something in our second movie, which ordinarily I would be terribly upset by, but was so not well done that uh, it didn't bother me one whit. But we'll get to that when we when we talk about uh, Ator the Fighting Eel. But that is for the second half of the show. Um, the witch takes the cow to a remote location where the cow gives birth to the king's son. She carves a scar into the baby's hand, but before she can kill the child, a good Samaritan comes along and kills her with a weapon that is only slightly less dangerous to the user than the glaive from Krull. <laughs> the glaive works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the glaive. Um, this, this man adopts the baby and takes him back to his village where he's named Dar and grows up into being Mark Singer. And along the way, learns to communicate telepathically with animals, which is super cool. Well, I take it. I, I know that they you, we have the sequence of him there, uh, you know, you, when, you, when you get to him grown up. But I always take this as this was the bad guy's plan working against them. That by being yes. birthed from the cow gave him that magic unwittingly gave him the connection to animals. Uh, and then uh, I had the same thought was yeah. that that must because they don't give a they don't actually explain no. how he can communicate with animals. But but that seems to be the only thing that I can think of was because he was bored from a cow. 
uh, that uh, you know yeah. that 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 he can. But I appreciate um, that they don't have the scene where some character just tells us because yes, <laughs> it would be yes, absolutely. Not fun. They do leave you know they do leave something for you to figure out, and I think it's all there. Yeah. Um, so then we introduced to Mark Singer as Dar, and I think Mark Singer is really good in this movie. He certainly looks great. Like he is. Holy, he is in great shape in this movie. Holy crap. Honestly, he's kind of like the halfway point between Luke Skywalker and Conan. Yeah. He's got the blonde hair, like he's, you know, and 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 yet he's got the the sort of, he's, he's jacked. Yeah, and I, I actually, in my mind while watching this, I think that with his look and the feel of the character, I think Mark Singer might actually be the first He-Man put to film. Yeah. Uh, even though he is not yeah. He-Man in this movie, but it, it feels like that, again, the, the rollicking good times. Um, there's very little blood in this movie compared to Conan. Yeah. Like when, when you slash yes. people with your sword, your sword comes up clean uh, without yeah. blood on it. And I think that's all part of, and that's why it's important to have Coscarelli, because he gives you the moments of creepy danger without having to... Uh, you know, inundate the screen with with tons and tons of blood. It's also one of the reasons why this movie played so well on cable. Yeah, because you didn't need to cut much. Like I said, I think there's there's one scene with some boobies. Um, you know, that was that easily you could you could snip that out. Like it wasn't like essential. But like it wasn't like oh yeah we have to trim this thing in a way that it makes it unwatchable. Yeah, no. Like it very easily transitioned to basic cable and where it played incessantly the joke being you know that tbs was the beastmaster station or that hbo hey beastmaster's on <laughs> yeah. um yeah and and it it, it will get to a little bit later but like this is a show this is a movie that that didn't it did okay in its theatrical run but it really found its audience on cable which prior to the 80s wasn't a thing cable the 80s was the decade where cable kind of came into sort of mo- many american households and they obviously had a lot of hours to fill and they needed content. So a movie like this would play a lot and people would see it often in pieces. So eventually the, the, the village of Dar's village is attacked and Dar's family is killed by the June horde, uh, a group of warriors who are in service of Mayax. Uh, they don't appear to be looking for Dar or even aware of his existence. It's just, this is what they do. Uh, and you know, you see, see Mayax again, he's a little older, you know he's evil because his teeth are bad and he has little skulls on the ends of his braids. And as I, I referred to earlier, for some reason, these villages and these, these village houses are on stilts, which is kind of cool. But when they are set fire, they just explode. Yeah. And I'm like, what do they keep? What are these people keeping in their houses? Because they just, just burn. They, they blow up. Yeah. And this sequence has some, uh, some really great little, little moments in it. One of my favorite is when, uh, and I, by the way, I'm just calling him Beastmaster. When Beastmaster <laughs> uh, <laughs> is in the fight and he catches an arrow with a shield. Oh, yeah. He, so he grabs a shield and then it puts it up just in time to catch the arrow. The guy who, who uh, shot the arrow, or another guy, I don't know, is charging him. He then flips the shield around so that the spike of the arrow is pointing at the guy and he shoves it in him. And totally. Amazing. Like, and such a simple thing, um, you could do it on a low budget, but there are a lot of little, little tricks like that in here where the action is inventive, 
it, it doesn't have to be expensive. It's not always yeah. huge, but these little moments. Uh, and then also when the, when uh, Beastmaster is like knocked out and the dog is dragging him. Oh, away. I love that bit with the dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, following the destruction of his village, the Beastmaster heads out into the world with his father's sword and the glaive thing. For long, the Beastmaster heads out into the world um, where he gets, uh, you know, like a, he acquires a group of animals who become his pack. Uh, he, has, he has an eagle, he's got a black tiger. Uh, and he's got a pair of ferrets named Kodo and Podo, uh, one of which he saves from like a quicksand type of thing. Uh, Rob, if I ever write a screenwriting book, I'm going to call it Save the Ferret. Yes. And the ferrets save him. Uh, before yes! he, so they, he's, they, there's a mutual quicksand saving, which, by the way, 80s trope alert. Yes. This movie has quicksand, which it was in the top five ways that you could perish in the 1980s. And uh, thankfully, we've solved the quicksand problem, Chris. There's no more quicksand yes. in the world. Um, <laughs> there was so much quicksand. Quicksand and ninjas are yeah. like, you know, the staple of the age, the staples of the age. Strangers and vans. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, there's there is that. All yeah. the 80s. Uh, speaking of strangers and vans, eventually uh, the Beastmaster comes across two women bathing and we get into some of the slightly weird sexual politics of this movie. Um, although it's not as bad as the sword and the sorcerer. No, it is not. Nothing is as bad as sword and the sorcerer. <laughs> but um, yeah, it. At this point, it's so jarring because Beastmaster has been portrayed as being so attuned with nature. Uh, he doesn't yes. want to kill the animals. Like, even the bear that attacked him, he, like, works with the bear. Um, yeah. Uh, but he sends he sends his ferrets to steal the towels of the girls. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know. Um and, and one of the weird things that happens is is that um, you know he puts the move onto Tanya Roberts' character of Kiri. The other girl that she's bathing with simply disappears. Yeah, and uh, and and he does he not use the black tiger to then uh, terrify Kiri? Yes, so that he can then like vaguely you know grope her. Yeah. and pretend that he's the big man who who scares the uh, tiger away. It's. Not great. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's of its time. I mean, it, what's interesting is that how you know uh, this is this is the third film we've talked about in this series, and and sort of the 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 views on sex in Beastmaster and the Sword and the Sorcerer make Conan look positively progressive by comparison. Absolutely, which is not. That I'll tell you. Uh, looking forward to our end of series recap. That's something I would have never predicted. Yeah, um, yeah. The, he eventually Dar would eventually write a, a book, "How to Master Beasts and Pick Up Women," which was uh, a bestseller in 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 Aruk for for many a year. But I will say that in this movie, at least, uh, unlike Sword and the Sorcerer, it's short lived. It really is essentially this scene, and then you're done yeah. with it. Which is actually why it sticks out so much because. His character, yes. the rest of the movie, the character isn't someone who would do this. And they just do it because ostensibly, I'm guessing, they wanted the, the TNA for a scene to sell it for the non-cable market. Yeah, and I, I, I get the impression 
this was a movie where a, a lot of there was a lot of behind the scenes uh, uh, machinations by the producers to make it more like that. That Coscarelli didn't really have a chance to make the movie he really wanted to. There's pieces of it there, but there were a lot of decisions that were out of his hands. Uh, being a young director at the time, and 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 you know. After this scene, we do get a sequence that I think is very Coscarelli, which is oh, yeah. the genuinely disturbing scene where where the Beastmaster encounters a group of bird people at the top of this cliff. And they basically like envelop and dissolve humans for food. And Dar is only saved by the presence of his eagle, whom the bird people worship. And it is a fantastic atmospheric and scary scene that the only thing about it is it, it, it feels a little bit like, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost like it's just episodic. Like it doesn't connect to anything for a while, but it's really good. It is. And just that, that first shot when he, uh, he sees the tree on the hill and the tree is yes. hung with these uh, it, it's very ceremonial. Uh, and I, I think if I remember that you can see, figures up there yeah and he goes to investigate and then they they surround him that's a surprise he doesn't know how many are going to come because he finds the uh what the uh you know the tree and then there's the like a little stone um, it's like a stone like eagle am like it's like a, a, it, he they eventually like give him the amulet when he thinks they're gonna attack him but because he's got the eagle they they slide the amulet down uh, which uh, will come into play later. Yeah, and the bird people, I love them because they look like, they don't have really feathers. They no. look like fleshy, like almost mothmen. Yeah. Uh, and they envelop you with their, uh, you remember from the Great Horror Camp Out. Oh yeah, for the Great Horror Camp Out. I, rem- I remember getting getting molested by a mothman, yes. Yeah, it reminded me of that. Yeah, um. yeah, a- absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's classic. It's kind of this classic horror scene in the middle of this, uh, uh, you know, sword and sorcery adventure movie. It's terrific. Uh, eventually Dar arrives at a Rook and we get this incredible model shot. I love the model shot of him from the cliff. I'm like, I want to build that in my backyard and just have like a miniature, a Rook in my backyard with a pyramid and everything. Um, he, he meets up with John Amos's character, Seth who is traveling with a young boy named Tall, and they both claim to be pilgrims, but they're a little too good at fighting to be pilgrims. Um, and first off, John Amos, Amos is great in this movie. He is terrific. Yes. And he, uh, who, who was in that first scene. Yes. When uh, the king uh, is, is going to his downfall without him knowing it. Yes, he's one of the king's guards in the very beginning. So by the time you see him here, you definitely know uh, that something is up. But, uh, and it, there's, there's just this, uh, wonderful personality that comes through where you get this feel of like Robin Hood and his merry men almost when you come up, come upon him. Yes. It's the quarterstaffs. Yeah. The quarterstaffs and the kind of, um, there is that sense of brotherhood and all of that. Yeah. You know, in these movies, you often don't have time to do scenes and scenes of characterization for people. But it doesn't mean that you can't have characters. And I think this is a a wonderful illustration of that, where you get who this guy is, uh, both from the setting you encounter him in, uh, in the beginning and and here again with with Beastmaster, but then also in the performance, the costuming, 
you get everything you need to know within 10 seconds and it distinguishes him and and it's just wonderful uh this is also the scene where we get the eyeball ring which is so cool and very coscarelli yes absolutely absolutely And, and it looks good i mean it looks like a human eyeball moving around in this ring to look at people and it is it's pretty creepy yeah it's awesome like i i yeah i that that's a that's a cool prop um we also learn that tall the the kid who's who's going with them is a son of zed which makes him dar's half brother although dar does not know this um yeah and that means that we learn someone else yes. is related. We also learn that Kiri is Tal's cousin, which by extension makes her the Beastmaster's half-cousin. Uh, but the Beastmaster does not know this uh, because he doesn't know his own parentage. So, you know, it's all good. This is something that is never really addressed by no, the movie. No, no. And we're going to get a little they, deeper into it when we yeah. get to the end of the movie. But for the moment, <laughs> you know, yes, he had an encounter with a woman he still does not know is his cousin. But, you know, he didn't know. And, uh, you know, he didn't know. Um, Dar, Seth, and Tal soon rescue a group of women who are intended for human sacrifice. And that group includes Kiri. Uh, and this scene's another really good one. It takes place near the coast. Our heroes escape on a raft. It's really good. There's just one thing. There are five girls that are going to be sacrificed, plus several guards. Most of the guards are killed. A few of them are thrown off the raft during the escape. Kiri escapes with them. But the other four girls just disappear. Once again, they just, like, we don't see them get killed. They certainly don't escape. Just like Kiri's friend at the swimming hole, they just vanish. Yeah, I, uh, you got to think that maybe both of these instances, there were shots that were cut yeah. to keep the running time down. I, it, it seems like the kind of thing you would have, because that's so beside the point, the movie just wants to dismiss them. Yeah. Uh, but then it just gets trimmed away. And I will say this uh, for both good and ill, you really don't miss them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They had families though. Yeah. Uh, the group then attempts to infiltrate the pyramid and rescue King Zed. Uh, here we get another Coscarelli horror touch with the introduction of the Death Guards. Um, first, they have to go down this long hallway with the guards with spiked gauntlets swiping at them from either side. It's a great scene. Uh, and then we learn that Mayax uses extreme torture to turn ordinary soldiers into mindless Death Guards. And the Death Guards are so dangerous, they'll turn on their masters if given the chance, which honestly seems strategically unsound. It does. It does. (laughs) Uh, But a lot of things are in a world of Beastmaster. Eventually, they rescue the king, and then you know they, there's some weird geography in the in the the pyramid for a while. I love the giant skull statue that serves as a door in the floor. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I want to build one in my house. Yes, um, and this by the time we're getting because we're into the end game now, and I, I did just want to mention because there are some things right here, but throughout this movie, it would be very easy for a movie about a guy who can telepathically communicate with animals. To essentially just have him get in a jam and then he asks an animal to attack someone for him. Right. Beastmaster does not, I mean, it does do that, but it actually utilizes the animals in in intriguing ways that vary depending upon the situation. So, for instance, in this section, he gets blinded 
And the black tiger is outside of the room and is looking into it. And Beastmaster is looking through the black tiger's eyes so that he can fight the witch. Yes. And so it's stuff like that where it's not always just tiger, maul that person, where they utilize the animals in in cool ways that, that are different. The ferrets are often used to steal things and to sneak things out. Like it's 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 really you know, and and I have to think that the animal handling on this movie must have been difficult. Yeah. My good, you got a black tiger, you got you got you know ferrets, you got a bear at one point. The eagle is no picnic either. You know, it's um, you know that must have added a layer of complication to this movie that other movies of its type did not have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, upon being rescued and gathering his forces, one of the most interesting aspects of this movie to me is that we learn that Zed is a shitty king, which is kind of an interesting <laughs> twist. Like usually in these kinds of things, um, you know, like the, whoever is the rightful ruler is also a wise and just ruler. But, this kind of asks the question, like, what if the rightful king is kind of a shitbag as well? Yeah. And and one who doesn't um, kind of set in his ways in a very yeah. bad manner where you're like, oh, of course this guy had his kingdom usurped. Yeah. Uh, because if he was more on the ball, uh, he might have seen this all coming. Yeah, he's told by his people that a, a direct attack will not work. It will fail. Everybody's going to get killed. And what does he do? He insists on going a direct attack. We don't really see this. It happens off camera. But but uh, the Beastmaster doesn't join him for it because he's not stupid. And, uh, and you know, basically gets wiped out um, in trying to attack the pyramid. Uh, and Dar eventually goes to the pyramid to try to save his friends from being put to death. Yeah. Well, and and about that rejection of the king there, um, he says, uh, he essentially calls Beastmaster a freak. Yeah. Talking. So it's not just a rejection of- Of the plan. Of the plan. It's a rejection of him as a person. And you get a moment where Beastmaster cries, but, you know, as he's leaving. It's it's a yeah. heartbreaking thing for him for obvious reasons. Uh, and I this is very unlike- Conan the Barbarian. It's also very unlike Sword and the Sorcerer. Oh, Conan doesn't cry. He has to have his friend cry for him. Yeah, yeah. But here they're not afraid to actually give him uh, give him a little uh, a little, little heartache that is expressed. And I, I thought that was uh, like a, a really nice moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then we get to the the climax of the film, or one of them, um, where, where uh, atop the pyramid, where Mayax is going to sacrifice the king, um, and and uh, reveals to Zed that Dar is his long lost son just before killing him. You know, he's throwing people into the fire. Like it's this slide that goes down into fire. And it's like, it's like the evil version of the slide in a Christmas story yeah. where the, where Santa Claus pushes, you know, you'll shoot your eye out kid. Well here it's like, Oh yeah, we're going to send you down to a slide full of fire. Um, it's awesome. Like it, it's I, I, this pyramid. They, they made it all in on this pyramid, and I love it. Yes, and uh, it, this section also has another one of my favorite moments when uh, Beastmaster has his ferrets chew through the ropes or whatever to yes. free uh, to free. Um, oh my goodness, the character names again. Uh, John Amos. Uh, uh, Seth to free Seth and Tal. Right. And what I love about that moment is that in freeing them, these people have clothes on. But immediately upon becoming free, they rip off every single piece of clothing they have except for their loincloth and then start fighting. And I I always took it as, 
you know, because you know, once you're naked and oiled up in one of these movies, you're going to be a badass. So I, damn it's right. like, <laughs> that is the logic of behind it. And I'm like, I'm there for it, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then we get to one of the most unusual aspects of this movie is that Mayax, uh, Mayax is defeated. Um, although I want to mention that uh, the prophecy turns out to be not true because it's not Zed's child that will actually kill Mayax. It's actually the ferret Kodo who kills Mayax and loses his life in the effort. Yeah, and it is, um, in case you're wondering if they're going to gloss over this like they glossed over the five slave girls who just disappeared. No, this, no, no. this is treated as a real sacrifice and there is mourning afterward. And yes. I, uh by the way, I, I think that's appropriate given the movie. Yes, and, uh, no, I I, absolutely. Good. But here we get to the weirdest part is that after Mayax is dead, we get the final battle. The June Horde returns and our heroes have to mount a defense of the city. And to me, it's like, what if the end of Return of the Jedi, they kill the Emperor and then still afterwards had to fight the big battle against the Imperial fleet? Yeah. That said, the battle itself is terrific. Like it's fire, they they move a drawbridge, so they they give the illusion, and the 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 all the that the, the, there's more, and the the horses all go into this thing, and then sets on fire. It's it is a fantastic scene, and obviously, you know, any producer who thought Don Coscarelli couldn't direct action, look at this scene; it's fantastic. And you could have made it concurrent somehow. You could have, you know, you could have fixed it, but it is very weird because normally you fight the faceless horde and then you kill the actual villain that you've been dealing with right at the end of that um once the faceless horde army has been taken care of they reverse it here and it, it does feel weird even though the scenes themselves are like you said they're, are they're both really, really good fun and of yeah. course this is where Chekhov's bird medallion comes back into play at the last minute uh because the even though they actually lose the battle at the end but the birdmen come back and save the day at the last minute and it's it's terrific and uh I am definitely team birdmen oh uh, there's no question I want a birdman yeah. spinoff like like I want to I want I want a whole show about those birdmen let's do the 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 6 hour limited series on HBO Max for about the Birdmen people. Like, uh, like I'm pitching that right now. Absolutely. Uh, and even though Dar is the rightful ruler, because he is the eldest son, he steps back and leaves the running of the kingdom to Tal, who's basically been trained his whole life for that job, with Seth as his advisor. And Dar, who now knows he was the son of the king, and therefore Kiri's cousin, goes off with Kiri for more adventures um, you know, and, 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 and possibly intimate relations. Um, but he knows he's the, it's the cousin now. So it's a little weird. Yeah. I, and they not addressed at all. Um, and I guess best not to think about it. Well, uh. you know, it's, um, <laughs> Uh, well, Beastmaster, it didn't it didn't do great in its initial theatrical run. It did okay, uh, partially because MGM moved up the release of that film from December 1982 to August, so they didn't really give it much in the way of promotion uh, as a consequence. Uh, they had to fill a slot in their calendar, and that was that. But then, you know, Beastmaster made its way to cable television, and that is where it really uh, took off and 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 found its found its audience. Uh, and eventually, the success of Beastmaster on television led to not one, but two Beastmaster sequels. Now, Don Coscarelli didn't return for either, but Mark Singer returned for both. One of those sequels, Rob, 
Beastmaster 2 through the portal of time. I'm going to tease you with the uh, with the, the plot is that Dar follow, follows a formerly unknown half brother, a different half brother, through a portal to the twenty to twentieth century Los Angeles to prevent him from getting a hold of an atomic bomb. Wow, that is the plot of Beastmaster Two. Now I have not seen either of the Beastmaster sequels, but I'm just going to say I think it might make for a great. Get me another Conan bonus episode down the road where we tackle Beastmaster 2 and 3. And uh, perhaps a great double feature with Masters of the Universe uh, <laughs> film from Absolutely. Uh, there was also a, a Beastmaster TV series in the syndicated TV series in the late 90s. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I, Beastmaster is a, a tremendously entertaining movie. Um, it, it's, you know, it's amazing to me that I have like like deluxe 4K editions of Beastmaster and the Sword and the Sorcerer, <laughs> thanks to like boutique labels, uh, Vinegar Syndrome and and Shout Factory, respectively. Uh, but we don't have 4K versions of movies like Excalibur or Conan the Barbarian. Like we're still waiting for those 4K discs. The success of Conan the Barbarian was not only influential on American filmmakers, but European ones as well. In particular the Italians. Uh, Italy had a long history with what were known as sword and sandal pictures, or peplum, beginning in the 1950s. These adventure films were usually set in various periods of antiquity, and they echoed the Hollywood historical epics of the 1950s, such as Quo Vadis or Ben-Hur, but with substantially lower budgets. By the 80s, sword and sandal movies had largely fallen out of fashion, but the success of Conan the Barbarian spurred a wave of sword and sorcery films that were cousins to the peplum. Among the earliest of these was Ator, Le Invincible, or as it was called in the U.S., Ator, the Fighting Eagle. And lo, the kingdom of the spider shall last 1,000 years, and the people shall suffer 1,000 years, for it is written... And this time shall be known as the Age of Darkness, for the shadow of the spider shall be the law. Then out of the darkness, the prophecy relives. To him is born a son. An even mightier warrior they will call Ator. When the time is near, the great eagle will shed tears of blood for Ator will cast light upon the darkness. I know more about you than you yourself. We must prevent the prophecy from being fulfilled! Come quickly! A curse on you! I was counting on you, Arthur. Oh, I thought you always counted on yourself. A man's fate is only revealed to him when he's halfway through his life. If it were revealed sooner, it would only seem an illusion. No one can obstruct the will of my Ator, take me away from here. First, I must complete what I was born to do. Ator. 
Ator, The Fighting Eagle, was directed by prolific Italian filmmaker Joe D'Amato. While he worked in a variety of genres, he is perhaps best known for the 1970s Black Emmanuel series of erotic films starring Laura Gemser as a globetrotting hedonistic photojournalist. Um, and the film, the film is written by Jose Maria Sanchez, although the English credits, the English language credits read written and directed by David Hills. Um, the film stars Miles O'Keefe, who had made his film debut in the title role in 1981's Tarzan, the Ape Man, opposite Bo Derek. It also stars Sabrina Sani, Ritza Brown, Edmund Purdom, Dakar as the high priest of the spider and D'Amato frequent leading lady, Laura Gemser. Like Beastmaster, this movie opens with a prophecy. We start with a voiceover detailing this complex, I would say overly complex prophecy, saying that the kingdom of the spider will rule the world for a thousand years. Then a hero will come by the name of Torin, who will rally the people against the spider kingdom. But he will fail, and the spider kingdom will reign supreme again. But Torin will have a son, and he's the one who will destroy the spider. Um, yeah, Conan the Barbarian has already done the snake cult. So Ator, Fighting Eagle, gives us the spider cult. And it is just, it's a lot early on. Very much so. And <laughs> the High Priest of the Spider is definitely very Thulsa Doom modeled, it feels Definitely. Except uh, one thing I just want to throw out to everybody is that throughout this movie, the High Priest of the Spiders <laughs> frequently has a spider on his arm, on his yes, head. Yes, I was going to mention this. If if you are, are, are not into spiders, if you are like, that, that is off-putting, this may not be the movie for you. But what I love about it is that he is always petting not the spider, but his own arm right next to the spider. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I have no idea why he 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 he's petting himself and not oh. the spider. I just every time, every time, Chris. Uh... <laughs> um, by the way, I just want to add it, the Peruvian actor Dakar played the role of the high priest of the spider, who is also named Dakar. So not, Dakar is the name of the character and the actor. Um, and like I said, if 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 you have an aversion to spiders. This might not be the movie for you. Yeah, it's when the high priest uh, of the spider learns that Torrid had a son, he sends out his soldiers to kill the child. And we get lines. And this is this this movie in a nutshell. We have a line and I quote, the earth trembles like a virgin being drawn to the nuptial bed. That's a line in this movie. Yeah, there (laughs) are, you know, this one is a wild one, Chris. Um Oh, oh, we haven't even gotten started. Uh, we have an eagle statue that cries tears of blood. Um, that's that's a thing in, in, in the, the spider sanctuary. Um, I do like the ancient amphitheater. That is the, the um, you know, the, the headquarters, the exterior headquarters of the spider cult. One of the yeah. nice things about shooting in Italy, you have these, these areas, you know, the, the, go back to the Roman Empire. And I'm like, that's a great, you know, that's a great setting. You don't have to build it. It's just there. Following his birth, Torin's son Ator is spirited away by a renegade member of the spider cult, Griba, who hides him in a village with a family, but magically covers up the birthmark that identifies him as Torin's son. Which, again, not unlike 
uh, Dar in, in, in the Beastmaster. He's hidden in a village. He's raised by, uh, by a family. It's interesting, whereas Conan was raised by the Wheel of Pain, effectively. Both the Beastmaster and Ator the Fighting Eagle, they, they are raised in sort of loving, stable families. Um, in the case of Ator, maybe too loving. Well, compared to Conan, I wanted to talk about the, the Chosen One thing. Yes. Uh, because this was also in Sword and the Sorcerer, frankly. Yes. Like the rightful heir uh, of the displaced people, and usually there's a mark and all of that. What I find interesting is that in these three movies outside of Conan, yeah, it really is treated as you're the rightful heir, and they deal with it in different ways. Um, and there's a mark and all of that, right? And and the ruler knows that you're prophesied to take them down, and they try to kill you early, right? In Conan the Barbarian, he is not a chosen one. Now he is the son of murdered people, yeah, by Thulsa Doom. But it's not like he's necessarily the rightful heir to anything. Thulsa Doom isn't like searching to kill the boy who's going to take him down, any of that, right. uh, until obviously much later Conan is is all revenge-oriented. But you, you take it much more in Conan as one minute you're up, and the next minute you're a slave. Absolutely. As opposed to, ah, oh, you're the chosen one who will save everyone. Uh, there's right. no saving everyone in Conan um, at all. The, uh, whereas in here, you totally can save everyone in Ator the Fighting Eagle. And, and it's interesting because the, it, it, in particular, in, in Sword and the Sorcerer and, and uh, Beastmaster, the, the person who is the rightful heir, who, is the, who will save the kingdom, he does dispatch the villain. But then doesn't want to rule himself. He goes off and sort of, you know, in a kind of man with no name kind of tradition, kind yeah. of goes off into the. Whereas Conan, and we don't see this in Conan the Barbarian, but we know it from the will become a king by his own hand. So he's not he's not born with any kind of birthright. He makes a destiny for himself, and that is a fundamental difference between Conan and some of the the movies that followed it. Sometimes the meritocracy means killing a whole lot of people, Chris. You're goddamn right. And Conan is up for the job. All right, so here's the deal with Ator. <laughs> <laughs> I'll rip the Band-Aid. <laughs> so Ator, Ator has been living, yeah, like he was literally born. And within hours or maybe a day or so of his birth is brought to this this family which already has one child uh, who is a, an infant um and and to live with them and 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 griba says hey listen i'll 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 make it worth your while they they're like we always wanted a son we have a daughter we always wanted a son uh, we're happy to take this child in and raise uh, the child as our own so like it's not like oh he was like 10 years old or something and it might have memories or so the girl sunya is his sister. He's fallen in love with his sister so hard you'd think it was a Folgers coffee commercial. Uh, and and this is introduced, you get the babies and the drop-off and all of that, and you hard cut to Ator is a full-grown dude. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the sister is full-grown. And what's the first conversation they're having? <laughs> I want to marry you. I want to marry sister. you. Yeah, that's yeah. That sister is happy and way into it. She's. It's not like oh, you're a weirdo. Oh, like no. she's into it, and it's and yeah. and like it's, it's mutual. Yeah, here they are with Ator asking the father's permission to be married. <laughs> it's so weird. 
It is the weirdest thing. It's so casually weird. It's not presented as something weird. It's presented as something totally like normal. It's it blows my mind. Well, and what happens when Ator, uh, who's a little reticent, <laughs> and he's saying, "Oh." Do you remember how back in the day... Yeah. You remember how our ancestors used to allow marriage between a brother and a sister? I know times have changed, but... And the father, Ator, you don't know how happy you make me. And then the father explains that Ator was brought to them as a baby, despite the fact... I mean, they have been raised as siblings their whole lives. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Turns out you're adopted. Oh, great. Because we wanted to bone anyway. Yeah, I just, uh, very bizarre. It's very it's, bizarre. Ator the Fighting Eagle is very much like Beastmaster in a lot of ways, but with, with a lot less Beastmastering and a lot more incest. Yeah, and another, I will say, there's one area in which Ator excel, Ator the Fighting Eagle excels over every movie we've discussed thus far in this uh, series. And that is Ator's hair. Oh my god, it is it's amazing. a work of beauty. It's it is, amazing. It is a character unto itself. Oh yeah, we'll have pictures, we'll post pictures on the Twitter and Instagram because Ator's hair is a blow-dried work of 80s a genius. Yeah, I uh, I have lost my hair, Chris, and I just want an Ator wig. Uh, <laughs> that's all I want in this I, world. I, 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 uh, Man, what I wouldn't give for Ator's hair. Honestly, yeah. I like. I I feel like my wife and I could pull up, uh, pull off a, a couple's Halloween costume of Ator because my wife looks a little bit like Sunya, uh, uh, just a touch, like the, the Hollywood version. Or and I'm like, we could pull that. We could pull that. That the 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 sister, <laughs> the sibling, the sibling. <laughs> so stupid. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, uh, so Ator and his sister prepare to be married. At the same time, the high priest of the Spider Kingdom gets word that his wayward employee, Griba, has been seen near the village. So he sends the soldiers out to kill everyone right in the middle of, middle of Ator and his sister's wedding. Most of the village is killed, except for Ator, who escapes, and Sunya is taken captive by the Spider People for reasons that were never really given. So like the Beastmaster, we have an attack on the village that has nothing to do with the fact that they're hiding the prophesized savior. It's just a coincidence. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, and this uh, is the classic uh, in the Joseph Campbell monomyth uh, where you open the story marrying your sister, uh, who is then <laughs> taken from you and you must uh, must uh, rescue her and reclaim your kingdom. I mean, it's this is in a million stories, Chris. Yeah, it is. It's it's this is this is truly the hero with a thousand siblings. <laughs> I, I, uh, Ator wanders through the land with the bear cub that he gave his sister as an engagement present uh, until he encounters Griba, who takes Ator to his sweet cave slash dojo and offers to train him as a warrior. Uh, eventually they meet an Amazonian war named Rune, who shows up for no other reason to kind of set her up for later. Uh, and one day, Griba and his cave dojo simply disappear, leaving Ator to find the sword of Torrent. And Ator is very excited to find the sword, saying, I found it at last, the sword of Torrent. First, 
We had no idea you were looking for it, dude. Nope. And you've never mentioned it until this moment. And to be clear, Ator at this point still has no idea he is the son of Torah. But I mean, I guess, you know, if I found, you know, know, the sort of, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even have, I don't have the... An analogy prepared. Ah, we'll just cut that. It's okay. Neither did uh, neither did the makers of Actor the Fighting <laughs> Eagle. Um, it looks like them. We cut nothing. Actor <laughs> <laughs> uh, is then captured by the Amazons, one of whom he encountered earlier. And Amazon leaders, the, the Amazon, by decree of the leader, fight for the right to have sex with Ator, and from that coupling, breed the next leader, as one does. Uh, Quote, a fine example of the species. Um, You know, I mean, I guess we've already crossed into sister-wife territory, so this doesn't seem as weird as it might be. No, I certainly didn't need to double-check that Joe D'Amato had written this thing when we got (laughs) to that scene. I was like, yep. Yep. But uh, what I love is how chaste Ator is. Yes. He resists the charms of Rune, essentially saying, I belong, my heart belongs to my sister. Yep. That's what he says. His heart belongs to his sister. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, but and, and then he talks Rune out of having sex with him and running away from the community that she's known her whole life to help him defeat the spider cult on the thin promise of maybe getting some gold. They do continue the thread uh, in its, uh, dare I say, for this movie at least, subtly played, where it's clear Rune kind of still wants oh, Ator. No, Rune's into Ator. There's no question. She's hoping that maybe she can turn him if she goes and uh, and does this thing. Because frankly, if you're her, what are the odds that this Sonya's alive? Probably well, yeah. pretty slim. You know, and 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 you know, who knows? Um, you know, and, but, but, but you know what, Rob Rune, he doesn't have as close a, 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 a familial bond with Rune as he does That's with true. his sister wife. Um, they don't even use names, um, <laughs> which actually I will say I was legit impressed that there was an actual dialogue callback in this movie. I was not expecting where <laughs> when they're introduced to each other, Rune, uh, you know, uh, Ator asks her name and she says, I don't use names. Later, she asks him his name, and he throws it back at her. Yep. They, they yep. smile and chuckle with each other. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, it was somewhere around this time watching the movie that I realized that the score alternated between imitating Star Wars and imitating a 70s James Bond movie. <laughs> and it kind of flips back and forth between sort of, you know, kind of quasi-imitations of, of both. Uh, not long after, Ator is ensorcelled by Indun, a witch played by Laura Gemser. And she clearly wants Ator to stay with her, but she doesn't want him to touch the drape that is hanging in the corner of her cave slash boudoir. Um, and again, this is very similar to a scene in Conan where where he's seduced yes. by the witch. Um, but it plays out a little differently. Um, a lot differently. Yeah. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Insanely differently. <laughs> uh, she says to Ator, quote... You will be mine until you have no strength left to gratify me. Which, I mean, if that's not one of the best pickup lines I've ever heard, you know, I don't know what is. But the problem is, you know that there's 
There's that curtain you're not supposed to touch. Right. There's a the curtain. She says, you know, don't touch my drape. She's very clear about don't touch the drape. Yeah. Uh, and before she can have her way with Ator, Rune sends Ator's bear cub that he gave his sister as an engagement present to distract the witch while she shoots the drape and uncovers the mirror, revealing the witch to be ancient and ugly. And Ator and Rune uh, soon make their escape. And what I love is that twice in 15 minutes, you've had a woman who wanted to have sex with Ator and didn't get the chance. And I guess Ator is saving himself for his sister. Although I will say with with Rune, it, he clearly shut her down. Here I'm like, oh, he was gonna have sex if, That's true. if that bear hadn't come Yeah, out. if the bear hadn't wandered through. It was game on. It's so weird. It's just, uh, at this point, Griba shows up again. To at last reveal Ator's true parentage, and after putting some magic lotion on Ator's chest, reveals the birthmark that he is the son of Torrent. And at the same time the birthmark is restored, the eagle statue in the spider temple begins crying blood again, revealing that the son of Torin lives. Um, Griba tells Ator he needs to acquire the Shield of Mordor which has a mirrored surface on one side to destroy the Ancient One, the giant spider that the spider cult worships. But in order to get his shield, he has to make his way through a cave filled with blind blacksmiths and and, and has to fight his own shadow in what I actually thought was a fairly cool sequence. It is uh, kind of a fun sequence. Uh, and look, this is indicative of this movie. where there, it's, This is a fun and entertaining movie. But you do have to say when you get into the blind blacksmith scene, you just have to roll with the fact that they are hammering ice cold (laughs) metal that is not bending at all. And they're like extremely half heartedly hammering it. It's more like clank, clank. Um, But it's the background. You just look past that. Go with them as they enter the floor and go stalking through this area, and they do the cool stuff. Uh, upon reaching the temple, he gets the shield and 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 then goes to the temple of the spider, and he fights and defeats the high priest Dakar fairly easily. Like he uses the he uncovers the mirrored shield, and the high priest literally blows up, and it's awesome. Yeah. But here's here's where we get the twist that Griba has been manipulating events all along so he could destroy Dakar and take his place. Turns out he was the original high priest of the spider and wants his old job back. Which, Rob, does that make him Bob Iger of the spider kingdom? I I don't know about that. (laughs) But it is um, a legit twist that I did not see coming in this thing. Um and 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 oh, by the way, Ator's sister slash wife is trapped in a giant spider web where the ancient one, which is this giant spider, is coming to devour her. Now, I'm going to just say it. I find spiders particularly unpleasant. I don't like them. I don't like looking at them. I find them off-putting. And the earlier the spiders that were crawling on on the spider priest, it, it was it was unsettling to me. But the ancient one looks so fake that it didn't bother me at all. Like it was like it was like the the John Pertwee Doctor Who episode, Planet of the Spiders. Like, oh well, that doesn't bother me at all because I could see the pipe cleaners. Yeah, and then uh, and as you get to the climax when it's coming out of the the temple, yeah, it really the proportions and the uh you know the animatronics or whatever. I, I they're probably they're not even animatronics. They're not they're animatronics. Like, guy guys are moving a stick to move this thing, <laughs> but um. 
<laughs> it looks it reminded me of like those old 50s atomic sized monster yeah. movies like them absolute tarantula you, you get into that territory yeah it's uh ator rescues sonia and griba is trapped and devoured by the spiders uh so much for a welcome return to his old job uh and then there's one more battle be fought as the ancient one finally you know, as Ator must finally destroy the Ancient One, thankfully the Ancient One emerges from his cave into the sunlight, giving Ator the perfect opportunity. Like, if 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 the Ancient One had just stayed inside, he might have been all right. But, uh, and once once uh, Ator kills him, the shiny shield cracks and the Ancient One is dead. Oh, by the way, Rune uh, dies from her battle with the spider cult, so she isn't comp- in competition with Ator's sister wife for uh, Ator's affections. Yeah, and let's be honest, it was no competition. Ator stayed true. There was no competition. Except for that brief dalliance with the witch. Uh, we end with some random shots of volcanoes erupting, um, and Ator and his sister slash wife walk off together in a freeze frame while a song plays that sounds like it's the fifth runner-up for an early James Bond theme. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are actual, um, there's note progressions in that, that not the whole thing, but there are bits that it sounds like the spy who, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, for your eyes only, um, where you're getting like very similar note progressions there. Um, Let's just say this. Ator the Fighting Eagle is completely ridiculous. It is an absolutely ridiculous movie. I can't find myself to dislike it. Oh, it's a hoot. It's the kind of movie I would have watched. I would have played on like WPIX Channel 11 on a Saturday afternoon, and I would have enjoyed the hell out of. It's and I still do. And 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 yeah, the stuff with the sister is weird, but this movie is too earnestly dumb to dislike you know it's just like it's it's a puppy dog of a sword and sorcery movie it just you know it wants to be like and uh you know he's, he's gonna go off with his sister i i i can't dislike it it is it is in some ways parts of it remind me of a movie we talked about in our get me another star wars series uh that is you're the hunter from the future if you have not listened to our get me another star wars series i'm gonna tell you go right to episode seven which is Krull and you're the hunter from the future. It is one of our shining moments that episode. And I, if we, I'm convinced to get people to listen to that episode, they will, they'll stick with us for the, for the whole thing. Uh, But Ator the Hyneel and part of it, I think is it's Italian heritage kind of reminds me of you're the hunter from the future. Although that's a, that's a slicker movie. And of all of the movies we've talked about today, and uh, I'll throw Sword and the Sorcerer and Conan into it. Which film has the greatest, longest-running franchise, Chris? Which which one has the most films? Funny you should say that because this was the first of four Ator <laughs> movies between 1982 and 1990. There are four Ator movies. Now, here's what I love. Three of them star Miles O'Keefe. Three of them were directed by Joe D'Amato, but not the same three. Uh, Ator 2, they all were released under different titles in the United States. Uh, Ator 2 was known as the Blade Master. Um, Ator 3 was called Iron Warrior. And Ator 4 was Quest for the Mighty Sword. Also, an edited version of Ator 2, a.k.a. the Blade Master, aired on U.S. television under the title Cave Dwellers and was the basis for one of the greatest episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 of all time. 
And I'm going to say, as with the Beastmaster sequels, we're not planning on covering the Ator sequel during this series. But if you would like us to, please let us know, because we would very strongly consider exploring the rest of the Ator saga in a Get Me Another Conan bonus episode. Hopefully people will clamor for us to talk about Ator 2, 3, 4. <laughs> but, it, I mean, you know, there were only two Conan movies, and here's there's four Ator movies, so who had the last laugh, Rob? The Fighting Eagle, clearly. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that, that brings us to the end of today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we'll join us again next week when Ryan from the New World Pictures podcast will be with us to discuss the Roger Corbin-produced film Sorceress and Lucio Fulci's 1983 sword and sorcery film Conquest. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter and Instagram at GetMeAnotherPod. If you like the show, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your sister. Uh, and join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, Get Me Another. Among the earliest of these was Etor le Invincible. Nope, gotta get that right. I should have practiced it. Among the earliest of these was Etor le Invincible. Is it Ator or Eight? I keep getting it mixed up. It's Ator or Ator. Ator. Like cat or. I'll try it one more time. Among the earliest of these was Ator. You said Ator. It's Ah. It's a law. Lo- it's Ah. 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 At or. <laughs> At like cat. Ator. Uh, stop.